But just keep in mind, though, that it does immediately follow, not just because it's written there, but the whole narrative is one flow from what we saw last week. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. This is the word of our God. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. As we've made our way through John's gospel, we've seen some wonderful themes. And we've also seen Peter presented, as he's presented in the other gospels, as an individual who is a bit rash, a bit impulsive. We've also seen that Peter has had a history in the gospel accounts where he sure has good words to say. He's got a presentation of himself as one that, yeah, he's the man you can count on. So much so that as we even saw in this gospel account, that Peter said, hey, even if everybody else should fall away, I will never deny you. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus, in effect, said, oh, really? Well, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me three times. And sure enough, Peter did. Now, to be fair, some of us are like Peter, rash with our words, all talk, and when push comes to shove, like Peter, will shy away. All of us at one time or another have probably been like that. But isn't it glorious, this passage that's before us today, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself restores Peter to his position that Christ had given him before. And that should give you and me hope because day in and day out, we fail our Savior. Now, sometimes it is with overt transgression, doing the exact opposite of what Christ commands us. 
But sometimes it's just simply not measuring up to the standard that God has set forth in his word. That's the idea of what iniquity is. God has his standard here, but we only go this far. And we don't match it. But again, isn't it wonderful that the grace of Christ is there for people like you and me, for people who are just like Peter in many respects. As we've looked through this gospel, especially most recently, we've seen the resurrection appearances of Christ, especially to Thomas and Thomas's own confession and the promise of blessing for people like you and me who believe yet do not see. That should be an encouragement to you. Now, as we think about this, and as we move forward, and we see this miraculous catch of fish that we just saw, all attention now focuses on Peter. Back to rash, impetuous, bold, yet even cowardly Peter. This text has much to say, not just about Peter, but about the grace of Christ in our own lives and the hope that we have in him. So what I hope to show out of this text is simply this, that Jesus assures us that true repentance leads to restoration requiring complete commitment. Jesus assures us that true repentance leads to restoration requiring complete commitment. We'll look at this under two headings. First of all, the restoration of Peter. And then secondly, the cost to Peter. So first of all, the restoration of Peter. Again, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now they finished breakfast and you remember they were there on the the seaside. They had just had this second miraculous catch of fish. 153 large fish. And we were reminded that really the work of the disciples requires obedience to Christ. They come ashore with a fish, and Jesus already has a fire going with bread and with fish there. And now it's after breakfast. Now, commentators will note that what they see here is something of Jesus and Peter walking along the shoreline, going for a walk on the beach, as it were. Now, that's not impossible because as you look at verse 20, Peter turned and saw the other, the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. So they must have gotten up and walked on. And that's where we're at. And it's also interesting because Peter is now addressed by Jesus formally. Simon, son of John. And you could see, like, for instance, in Matthew's gospel, he's called Simon Bar-Jonah, 
which is really just a transliteration of Simon, son of John. It's also interesting because all throughout John's gospel, all throughout John's gospel, Peter is just called Peter, except here. Richard Phillips in his commentary notes that what we're seeing here is somewhat of a picture of what deposing a person looks like. Remember, it was Jesus who gave Simon the name Peter. And because of Peter's action in denying Christ three times, Peter is back where he started. And Jesus is addressing him as if it was back before that. Simon, son of John. And it's true. Every time you and I sin, it's as if we've gone backwards. But isn't it great that our Lord Jesus Christ calls us still by name? And he asks us the same question that he asks Peter. Do you love me? And how we answer that is a testimony, really from the heart, how we answer that is a testimony of our understanding of his grace in our lives. And this is the question that Jesus asks Peter. Do you love me more than these? Now there's debate because the language here is a bit ambiguous. What is these referring to? Now some see it as referring to the other disciples in this sense. Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? That's not impossible. And that is a pointed question, especially given the fact that Peter said, even if all they fall away, I'll never fall. So Jesus could be asking with that in mind, okay, Peter, do you really love me more than these others do? That's possible. Another possible reference to these is as they're walking along the shoreline, that Jesus is referring to all the equipment that they use for fishing, the nets, the boats, the gear. Do you love me even more than these? That's also possible because remember, as we saw last week, after the resurrection and Jesus appears to the disciples, what does Peter say? I'm going fishing. And some even saw that maybe without much merit, but saw that as sort of a rebellious act on Peter's part. The text isn't all that clear, and maybe that's deliberate. And so the question for you and for me is very similar. Do you love Jesus more than these, more than the things of this world, more than other people in this world claim to love Jesus. You see, there are lots of people in this world that claim to love Jesus. They love therapist Jesus. They love the Jesus who gives us all the warm fuzzies, all the comforts, who accepts us just the way we are. They love that Jesus. 
But Jesus presents himself as the one, yes, who does comfort, but who's also our king. Do you love Jesus more than anything else in this world? Anyone else in this world? It's always good, husbands and wives, to remind each other, honey, I love you, but I need to love Jesus more. And boys and girls, you need to love Jesus more than you love even your parents. And even you parents, you need to love Jesus even more than your kids. That sounds harsh. But think of what Jesus has done for you. Do you love me more than these? Now, one little note here, and those who have been with us for a good amount of time have heard me reference this, and I'm going to speak to it a bit more, a little bit further down the line a few minutes. But one of the things that Jesus does in his question and then Peter's subsequent answer, John presents this in a rather interesting way because Jesus asks the question, Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? The verb that John uses here in quoting Jesus is where we get agape. The answer from Peter, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, The verb for love there is phileo, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Now, some have made much to this, and we're going to pick this apart a little bit further down. But suffice to say that the one thing that Peter does do, or really John presenting what Peter says, is that Peter is quite emphatic in his answer. He says, yes, Lord, you yourself know that I do. And the beauty of this, and this actually occurs all three times, is that Peter is not actually appealing so much to his own love for Jesus. He's appealing to Jesus's knowledge of his heart. Peter has already begun to show some more humility. He's not appealing to his own love. He's appealing to the omniscience of Christ. You know that I love you. And he says it emphatically. You yourself know it. Lord, you know it. And like The question that Jesus asks of us, Peter's answer teaches us how we should answer. It's not, oh yeah, my heart is just filled with love. I've got so much love. It's more appealing to the knowledge that Christ has of your own heart. And in fact, Lord, my heart is a mess but I do love you. You know that. I think Peter has demonstrated time and again that his own heart was a mess. Sometimes weak, just like ours. 
But Jesus knows when we have true faith despite our heart. And that too should give us comfort. It's like the, the centurion, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You, Lord, know that I believe you. You know that I do. Rash, impetuous, boisterous, the man of action, Peter, is emphasizing Christ's knowledge of him. All of us should emphasize Christ's knowledge of us completely, but also his love for us. Christ then follows up with a command. And yes, it is a command. Notice what he says. We've seen this. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And what we're seeing here is Christ basically restoring Peter to his apostolic position as the one who would be a witness for Christ, one sent by Christ, because that's what apostle means, the one sent, in order to feed Christ's lambs. Now, there's a couple things here. Christ does not even overtly mention the office of apostle. What Christ focuses on is the action that Peter is to take. Feed my lambs. Now, officers of the church should heed this kind of thing for themselves. Because it's very easy, especially for those of us who stand up here and preach, to fall into the temptation like the Pharisees, who love to be called teacher, rabbi, teacher, yes, yes, I'm the teacher. That's my office. Yes, I'm the pastor. Yes, I'm the elder. Christ here is focused on the duty more than the office. It's not to say that Jesus ignores the office. But it would be well and good for the officers of the church not to focus so much for yourself on your office, but on your duty. That's what Jesus is telling Peter. This is your duty. Feed my lambs. And even there, notice, it's Christ's lambs, not Peter's. Officers of the church would do well to remember this too. The people that are members of this church, you're not my sheep. You belong to Christ. My responsibility is to feed Christ's sheep. You belong to him. That's why time and again you hear me stress that this church does not belong to me. It doesn't even belong to us. It belongs to Christ. It's his church. You are his sheep. And he uses the affectionate term lambs. We are like lambs. We are his children. But it's more than that. His sheep 
include the lambs, our young children. Christ feeds even you, boys and girls. He feeds you. Boys and girls, you belong to Christ. You are one of Christ's sheep. You are one of his lambs. And Christ has commissioned the elders of the church to feed Christ's lambs. The question is, how do we feed them? Well, we feed them with what Christ has given us, namely his word. Nothing else. It is Christ's word. It's not my word. And it's even more appropriate today to remind you that you should not be listening to my voice. You should be hearing the voice of Christ. Insofar as any minister of the word stands before you, preaches that word, and that word preached is consonant with the Bible, that's the voice of Christ. That's what we should be hearing. And every minister of the gospel has the responsibility to speak Christ's words, to unpack the word of Christ. That is how the sheep are fed. Not with the fancy ideas of the modern world or even much of modern evangelicalism. What does Christ's word teach? That is what we should be fed. Now for you who are the sheep, the beauty is you actually have power in the church. Did you know that? You actually, as members of the church, have power in the church. The general office of believer. And you have the responsibility, even the duty, to make sure that what comes from the lips of whoever is standing here before you is consonant with God's word. You have that responsibility. And so if there are times, whether it's me or another minister who comes here and says something that is contradictory to his word, I'm not talking about debatable things. I'm not talking about amillennial versus post-mill, okay? We can discuss that. We could discuss why one's right and the other's wrong. but something that contradicts the heart of the gospel. Imagine if somebody stood here and denied the divinity of Christ. You understand that you, as a general member of the church, have the responsibility to go to your elders and say, hey, I think I heard this. Something needs to be done. What needs to be fed to the sheep is his word the pasture of Christ's word and nothing else. Feed my lambs. That is what is to be fed. This is also why um, 
it's important for those who might think they want to be teachers to take heed because you bear the responsibility of bringing God's word to the sheep. And if you bring something other than God's word, God will hold you accountable. This is what James warned, warns us in James 3 verse 1. Not many of you should want to be teachers. You're going to be judged to a higher standard. And let me tell you from personal reflection, that scares me. But yet at the same time, I know I'm compelled to do this. Every minister of the word that comes before you should have a sort of nervous apprehension because they are handling God's word. But more to the point, it's not just God's word. It's God's word to Christ's sheep. And the last thing any of us want to do, even inadvertently, is poison the sheep. Upset their theological and spiritual digestive system, so to speak. We need to feed you God's word. That's our task. That's our responsibility. That's the duty that Christ has given to us. Now, as we come back to this text, notice that this back and forth happens three times. Three times. Now, there are slight differences, but why three times? Well, how many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. And so for each denial, Jesus repeats, do you love me? To restore Peter what he had lost in his denial of Jesus. What a gracious savior. You know, the truth of the matter is, there aren't too many sins that are more heinous than denying Christ. Oh, we're very quick to talk about sins against us and how terrible they are. And I don't wish to minimize that. Sin against one another, that can be quite painful. But to deny our Savior, to deny our Lord, is the height of rebellion. And Christ gently restores Peter. Just as he gently restores us. Isn't it wonderful that Christ doesn't treat us as our sins deserve? He's so kind to us. He's so kind here to Peter. And three times he asked, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? There is a couple of differences. The verb that Jesus uses for caring for the sheep. We have feed and then also tend as the ESV has it. Well, the verb tend could also be feed. It is a different word. They're synonymous. But there's also a switch 
in the use of love with Jesus and Peter. The first two times Jesus asks, do you love me? He uses the verb form of agape. And Peter's answer is with phileo, both times. But the third time, it switches. Jesus then asks, do you love me, phileo? And Peter responds, you know that I love you, agape. Now, some people make a whole lot of this. But the truth of the matter is, in this context, they're being used interchangeably. We shouldn't make too much of the difference between the verb phileo and agape. Yes, there are distinctions. But already, with respect to the reference of John being the disciple that Jesus loved, guess what? Both words are used, and it refers to the same person. You've also heard me mention how the Septuagint uses in the Old Testament the whole situation with Amnon and Tamar. It too uses both verbs. John is just using variety of language. We shouldn't make too much that somehow Peter understood what Jesus was getting at. The fact of the matter is, both words encapsulate for us what our love for Christ should look like. Agape deals more with the commitment and unconditional giving of oneself to something. Phileo has more of the affection, has more of the brotherly love, more of the emotion side to it. Now, that's a little bit simplistic, but the two overlap. And the truth of the matter is, our love for Christ must have both. Wholehearted commitment and also recognition that we cherish Christ, that we cherish him. And so if you think in those terms, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you yourself know that I cherish you. And then finally, Lord, you know everything. You know that I am committed to you. And each time, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Your love for Christ means you need to live in obedience to him in whatever position, whatever status, whatever station that the Lord has seen fit to place you. Now, it's true. None of you are apostles. I'm not an apostle. I'm simply a minister of the word. Not all of us are going to be tasked with feeding Christ's sheep. But nevertheless, what we see here is that wholehearted commitment and cherishing of who Christ is mean 
a result in our obedience to what he commands. Remember what Jesus said earlier in this gospel. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The specific here command here to Peter is the restoration of his office. Feed my sheep. For you and for me, it's all day, every day, living in obedience to all that Christ has commanded. That's his grace. Do you love Christ? Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Live in obedience to my commands. And actually, this is really the transaction that takes place every time we confess our sins and flee to Christ because of our wicked actions. And then he graciously restores us. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. And live in obedience to my commands. This is the restoration of Peter. This is what it looks like for you and for me. Well, this brings us to our second point, which we'll look at a little bit more briefly. The cost to Peter. Look now at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. As we look at this now, Peter uses an analogy. When you were younger, Peter, you used to go wherever you want. In fact, so important is what Jesus is about to say to Peter, that he begins what we've seen time and time again, Truly, truly, amen, amen. What Jesus has to say is of of such solemn importance that he begins with, amen. Pay attention, Peter. When you were younger, that is, not like a little child, but a young man, You dressed the way you wanted. You went wherever you went, wherever you wished to go. And all of us can relate to that. Even young children that do finally learn to dress themselves. It does get humorous sometimes to see the combination of clothes. You sometimes chuckle. And sometimes how they'll change four and five times a day. We get this. You dressed yourself, you walked wherever you wanted, but now the contrast is set up. But when you were old, that is, in the future, what's going to happen is you're going to stretch out your hands. You're going to be led where you don't want to go. Now, this is Jesus not just simply predicting. But if I can say it this way, promising. The 
the crucifixion of Peter. John even parenthetically states, as the narrator, this was to describe the kind of death that he would die. That expression, stretch out your hands, there is some extra biblical evidence that that is an expression that was used to describe what happened in a crucifixion. Now, there is debate as to whether or not Peter truly was crucified upside down. Uh, the church, ancient church historian Eusebius, he notes that Peter requested that he be crucified upside down. That doesn't seem likely. It's not impossible, but it doesn't seem likely. Peter was crucified right around the year 64 AD, which means that Jesus said these words to Peter, and those words hung over Peter's head for 30 years. I want you to think about how the book of Acts begins. What happens almost immediately after Pentecost? All the disciples, the apostles, they're arrested. They were set free, but then not too long after that, Peter was arrested again. Can you imagine every single time Peter was arrested, he had to have asked himself, is this when it will happen? Finally, at one point, under Nero, it did happen. But for, for, for 30 years, this truth hung over Peter's head. Now, there's a couple of things about this. First of all, you see that Peter is indeed a changed man. Because he went and obeyed Christ, he went out and he fed Christ's sheep, knowing that this was over his head. Now for you and for me, it is probably unlikely that we will be crucified. We don't know. It's also probably likely that none of us will be martyred for the sake of Christ. Again, we can't know for certain, but it certainly seems as time progresses in our culture, we're getting closer and closer to that becoming a regular thing. But nevertheless, the truth of the matter is, those of us who profess faith in Christ will at some point suffer for the name of Christ. This passage where we see the restoration of the Apostle Peter in no way presents a prosperity gospel. What we see here is the reality of what it costs to be a disciple of Christ. 
Remember Jesus' own words. If anyone wishes to be my disciple, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And notice, that's how Jesus ends this this section. Follow me. Jesus does not paint a rosy picture of what a Christian's life will be on this earth. Now, all of Scripture tells us it's beyond a rosy picture on the other side of glory. That we know. But between then and now, for the Christian, it will be a life of suffering. You who claim to know Christ need to do, as Christ said, count the cost. Will we be like Peter, at least in terms of motivation? And willing to suffer and daily bear our cross for the sake of Christ and follow him. That's what this is. Although we don't see the words, it is clearly implied. Jesus is again asking Peter to count the cost. This is what will happen. This is what it means for you, Peter, to be my apostle. And so, given as a command, follow me, but it's almost like it's a pregnant question. Will you follow me? And that's the question for each of us. Will you follow Jesus no matter where it takes us? Do you trust him? If you do, you may not know the path, but you know the goal. You know the end. John tells us the purpose of his gospel, as we saw a couple of weeks ago at the end of chapter 20. He wrote these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you will have eternal life. Everyone just wants to skip to the end. It's like reading a book. You know, some people, they just can't wait. They have to skip to the end. We don't get to skip to the end. And for some of us, That could mean suffering for Christ. Will you follow him? Sometimes we'll cower. Peter did. But it was not the unforgivable sin. Jesus restored Peter. In fact, even functioning as an apostle after Christ's ascension, Peter failed again. We see this story told by Paul in Galatians chapter 2. He feared men and kind of stayed back from the Gentiles. 
But again, our God, our Savior, is gracious. He will give you the grace you need to sustain yourself. He will sustain you. No matter what this world throws at Christ's church. You will never, you who have faith in Jesus, you will never be separated from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Follow him. Christ will restore everyone who is penitent. How do we know Peter was penitent? Well, the third time Jesus asked, notice what John said, Peter was grieved that he was asked the third time. It's not just that Peter grieved. Oh, again, he keeps asking me this question. No, he grieved because I think Peter really understood the depth of his sin, that he needed to be asked that third time. No wonder Jesus is asking me three times. I denied him three times. He's asking me three times. I'm grieving because it resulted in Jesus having to ask me three times. It's my own actions that did this. But those who truly grieve over their sin and repent and flee to Christ, he always restores. He restored one who denied him three times. He'll restore you, you who flee to Christ. But then you need to go and obey. Not to be saved, but precisely because he restored you. Follow Jesus. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ in action. All who flee to Christ will be forgiven and enabled to live in obedience to him, serving him with joyful gratitude for the grace that he has bestowed upon us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in God in heaven, we do give you thanks for your word. And we give you thanks for the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus. Seeing this as Jesus restored Peter. Father, we do pray that as a result of the forgiveness and restoration we receive in Christ, that we would now live in joyful, thankful obedience to him. May your spirit and word be applied to our hearts that we would do so every day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would take your Psalter hymnal and turn to hymn 538, take my...